going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. Thank you so much, Capital, and those of you who have been listening to this space known that we've used it to really have some good deep, hence the name of the show, conversations about sports and its culture, both good, bad, and indifferent. And certainly there's lots to celebrate when you talk about hockey culture, and there's lots to reconcile as well. And that's what we'll try to do is... There have been some not-so-nice hockey stories in the news, but we don't solely want to focus on the bad. We also want to embrace the fact that there's aspects of the sport and its fashion that are really cool when you're paying attention and when the gatekeepers of the sport give us permission to tell those positive stories. Someone who's been doing that for a long time is our next guest, Adam Aziz. He's a freelance writer for ESPN and Disney's Anscape, formerly The Undefeated, He's also written for Toronto Star, OK Player, Grammy.com, Complex, and others. And he is one of our go-to guests on Going Deep. So let's go back to the well with Adam. Listen and learn as we talk about the fly aspects of hockey culture and the problematic parts as well. So Adam, I appreciate you joining and I appreciate you letting me professionally vent to you. Because as we've discussed and I've discussed and I've discussed on this space, why can't we have nice things in the sport of hockey? Like, why can't we just have nice things? Pride nights across sports are pretty benign, to be honest, at this point. Like, they're important, but they're certainly not radical until they are. We've talked about Provorov having the choice to not take the ice, but now the New York Rangers as a franchise are saying, well, you can keep your pride tape and your pride warm-up jerseys. Even though we promoted the fact this was going to be a celebration, we're not as proud, so we're just going to celebrate in the stands and not on the ice. What do you make of the pride night dominoes that have fallen over the last week or so? Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me again. I mean, I'm baffled by you on this, you know. I mean, I think it's another fumble um, in a long line uh, of recent fumbles from the league, right? So if we look at the, you know, Rangers' statement, uh, you know, after the decision came to not wear the jerseys and use the tape, I mean, it was so troublesome, much like the NHL statement following the Provorov situation, where they basically said, I'm paraphrasing, but... You know, we support LGBTQ plus communities. Um, however, players and teams can kind of do whatever they want. So that brings me back to the question, I guess, of why even do this to begin with, right? Uh, I think it's, you know, if you're not going to participate in this league-wide, why do this to begin with? And I think the other important thing to remember, and at least in my opinion, is while the word celebration is used, you know, in, in regards to these events, what it really is, 
it's really about supporting communities, you know, supporting communities in their, you know, quest, you know, to live, you know, a happy, full life against many factors, you know, working against them many times. And, and like you said, I don't see this being a very controversial thing, right? I mean, we're literally talking about hockey tape here. And that's why, you know, Provorov's decision was so ridiculous. Like, I, I really think that he thought he was making a, a, a Colin Kaepernick-like statement uh, with his decision, and it was anything but, you know, that. And it was just, quite frankly, you know, really embarrassing. And I'm just kind of embarrassed, you know, for the teams and him, you know, in the league at how they've approached this these situations. Yeah, and I don't want it to get lost that specifically – you know, the Flyers have done work in this space for a long time, and there was money raised and, you know, outreach that was done, and I think that's important. So I, I don't want to be a rubbernecker and only focus on the accident on the side of the highway. However, to me, I want these measures to be goal-intended, focus-oriented. And when they come and go so quickly, to me, that shows me that, well, they were just performative. They were just PR. And the PR has changed, and thus your calculus has changed. I I would feel better if we didn't have a team-sanctioned Pride Night in the first place and players who felt the yearning to wear Pride tape or put on a Pride jersey did so whenever they wanted. And that would actually show you who true allies are. To me, I feel like we've got to the point where teams are just trying to get participation ribbons and saying, well, these other franchises did it, so we got to do it as well, even though we don't really know why we're doing it until some people on our team don't want to do it, then we're stuck because we don't really want to force them to do it. Like, you, you can't be half pregnant on this issue if you're an organization. Yeah, I mean, it, well, you mentioned the, uh don't want to focus on, you know, the accident on the side of the highway. Unfortunately for the NHL, they've had like a 30-car pileup, right, over the past, um, you know, recent years, right? Even if we look back to something we talked about uh, before, which was their response during the George Floyd situation a few years ago, right, where they did some stuff, right? Like, I think that's the that's my big takeaway here, right, is they're doing stuff, right? But none of this is you know, uh, aligned and none of uh, it feels very performative, right? Whether it is the, uh, you know, the, the their addressing of, of the George Floyd situation to supporting of, uh, you know, LGBTQ plus, you know, rights in the community, it all feels very performative, forced, um, and it doesn't have to, right? But I think what happens is when you have players and teams that make these very knee-jerk you know, reactions to something that, like, to your point, is really not, like, no one is, you know, I think to go back to what I said before, no one's asking for Provorov to go march in the Pride Parade, right? Nobody is asking for anyone on the New York Rangers, you know, to go on a date with their teammate, right? I mean, what we're talking about here is support for a community of people that have a lot of forces working against them. And, and I think that's a very noble thing to do. And, and the reality of it is the NHL, we look at it as, 
a, you know, an individual, you know, uh, like there's individual teams and we look at it as sports, but it's a large corporation, right? And much like people that work at large corporations, there's any number of, you know, activities that happen throughout the year, uh, supporting a variety of causes that everyone rallies around and gets involved with. No one is, no one is asking anyone here on their own time, uh, you know, to celebrate this, uh, you know, at home, you know, with their families. This is about support. And, it, and, and in my opinion, if it can't be done in a respectful manner, I agree with you. It shouldn't be done at all as far as league-wide you know, initiatives, but that really, you know, kind of keeps, unfortunately, that would keep hockey and the NHL in the same place it is, which is a really, you know, troubled space when it comes to diversity and inclusion. And I just, I'm stunned, you know, quite frankly, that this continues to happen. I'm just kind of stunned. Well, there is, well, there is theoretically a separation of church and state between the league in the league office, in the individual teams. And I think, not on this issue, but in general, there is a philosophical conversation or debate that needs to be had in terms of are these franchises all individually owned and operated and thus able to do what they want, or are they franchisees, part of a larger franchise, who have to all funnel into what that corporation that you speak of wants to do. I'm not sure we know the answer. Like if Starbucks has a stance on to us, LGBTQ rights, you can't own a Starbucks and say, well, we're not putting the rainbows up in June. Like this is what we're doing. And I don't know necessarily in professional sports with the amount of money that is paid for these franchises when often, the board of governors are running commissioners. I'm not under, not sure we know necessarily what way the water is running in terms of who's running the relationship. Do, do you? Well, I mean, I think the other problem is, too, I mean, do you know what the NHL stands for? Like, I, I don't, right? I, I mean, I, I think I have a much clearer picture of what the NBA stands for, right? And I think that that has been driven by clearer communication from the top, right? So I don't know the answer to that. I think we need to first understand what does the NHL want to stand for? Because I think that's also creating tons of confusion for the franchises, right? When statements come out that say, we are in full support of this community. However, you know, guys, do whatever you want. I mean, that's that's going to create a lot of blurred lines there to where I can understand how teams don't really know how, you know, to approach certain situations or certain audiences because the communication from the top is so unclear. So I, until that happens, I, I don't think we're even going to be able to walk down that road. Well, it's funny because if you looked at this, on a continuum, you look at that entire spectrum. Yeah, we know what the NBA stands for, and even more so the WNBA. And they have been so liberal and so progressive that some people have said, well, maybe you should keep the same energy on all issues. But we know on what side they say they are. And I think on the flip side, we know what the NFL stands for. 
Like, we know the NFL is often on the opposite side. Uh, and quite right. frankly, are very happy to be like, we're about our business. We want those games to be played and those bets to be made. I, I feel like the NHL is like caught up in the air with the ball in their hand, not necessarily sure, right, if they should shoot or pass, if they are closer to the NFL in sensibility or the NBA, or trying to be all things for all people at the same time. And then that leaves them really being nothing for for anyone yeah in some in some respect I, I think people would feel a lot better about things if they just took a stance right and i think you can un, you can really see and i can tell from conversations that i've had um where they're really gun shy about taking a stance quite honestly on, on a lot of things and and great examples you used of the nfl and nba because you can have your opinions of where they stand, but you kind of know, right? And I think, unfortunately, the NHL is at a spot where they're going to have to decide and it's going to rub some people the wrong way. Uh, but I think in the long term, uh, they're going to find themselves in a better place if they just bring some clarity as to where they stand on a, any number of issues and challenges and they they just haven't done that yet and and again we've seen with this these recent situations they continue just to introduce more blurred vision uh into that and uh yeah they're at a spot where they're going to have to decide pretty soon we've said the nhl repeatedly in this conversation but how much of this is the nhl because these two events happened at league-sanctioned games, and how much of it is hockey? And we're really talking about the sport and less so the league, but the league is the greatest gatekeeper that the sport has because of the level of eyeballs it gets. Is this unique to the league, or is this a much bigger problem that is symptomatic to what's going on in the sport more broadly? Oh, it's a much bigger problem to to what's going on. Uh, on in the sport as a whole and like you say unfortunately for the NHL they're the they're the leader in in the sport so they're you know taking the brunt uh, you know of the backlash but no it's a problem with hockey as a whole we've seen it uh, specifically related to the many many situations and issues you've seen with racism in the sport Um, it permeates across you know minor hockey uh, and the NHL and you know we and including you know with uh you know across uh, you know teams as well it's not just the leagues themselves it's within the it's rooted within uh you know the teams themselves and and it's so much more about the sport of hockey and needing to address uh the you know toxicity that runs you know through the sport and uh you know the nhl is going to have to take a lead in in helping to try to fix that uh, but there's a lot of work to be done here, you know, at all levels. Um, and I do think it's a much, you know, wider problem. I think there's a lack of education uh, that goes on, you know, across these teams at all levels of the sport. And even for the NHL itself, right, they still don't have, as far as I understand, diversity and inclusion programs across every team. Like, it's 2023, and we just went through – some pretty significant social and social justice issues 
and we still don't have that instituted across every team? Like, why? And what message does that send to those lower levels, you know, of hockey organizations when the leader can't get that in place? So I think, yeah, they're taking, you know, maybe a little bit of an unfair brunt of all this, but they do have a lot of accountability here because they're ultimately the ones setting the example. I, I think of this issue when I think of someone like Evander Kane, who you wrote about for Anscape. You had a very interesting Q&A with him. He clearly trusted you and gave you quite a bit of time. I've thought about him in the past, and I've gotten a chance to know him, especially around his work with the HGA when it was first founded. And I thought to myself, man, this guy is, in many circles in the sport, like a pariah. Like he, he is... Mm-hmm. Enemy number one. Yep. And if he played another sport, like he would be a possession receiver level flashy. Like it, it would, <laughs> it would not really. You held like a stack of money right. to your ear in a hotel in Vegas. Congrats. <laughs> There's G League players who are doing that right now. Like it wouldn't be a big deal. What was your? I, I have a few, but I'm interested to hear from you. What was your biggest takeaway from the riveting conversation that you two had? Wow. Yeah, it was an incredible conversation. I mean, you, you talk about um, the. I just want to go back to the instance of when he held the money stack to his ear because that didn't make the you know piece us talking about that. But what he said was. You know, I was in Vegas. I thought it was cool. I saw other athletes doing. I held a money stack to my ear. Turn on the TV the next day, and like I'm on Sports Center, and uh, you know, with this like, what is Evander Kane doing? And, and he's like, hang on a second. Like Wes Welker, you know, was at the Kentucky Derby throwing money up in the air, and everyone's like, wow, look at this guy. Like he's so fun. And he was just like, I couldn't believe it. Right? Like I couldn't believe that. You know, something so small got blown up in such a significant way. And then look, and look, I mean, Evander was very upfront about, you know, mistakes that, you know, he had made in, you know, in in his early part of his career. But what really stuck with me uh, was his comments about how he felt a narrative, you know, was being seeded out during his time with the Winnipeg Jets that ultimately kind of followed him almost up until this day. Right. And And I think that narrative was, Here's this, you know, flashy, mixed-race hockey player who likes nice things, who's a little, you know, outspoken. And, wow, he, he's just a terrible teammate, right? Like, this this guy's just the worst teammate of all time, and he's just always out front, and he's too flashy. And to your point, not really, right? I mean, he's, he's you know, the odd thing out there, but he wasn't like uh, – you know, we aren't talking like gold chains, uh, you know, gold fronts, uh, you know, posing on the gram here. He held a money stack to his ear and bought a nice car, right? I mean, and I think that this showed, you know, how, you know, black athletes and, and black hockey players, you know, tend to be treated a lot differently than their white counterparts, right? And this is a narrative that followed him throughout his career. And look, like, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things I think over the course of his career that happened that uh, he would probably admit that he would do a little bit differently, but he was just stunned, right? How, 
you know, this narrative followed him and, and was kind of seeded out. And it was really funny when I was talking to him, it made me think of the, uh, you know, the Harry and Meghan Netflix documentary and, and them talking about, you know, how these narratives, you know, were being seeded out, you know, to the press and ultimately this narrative just stuck and stayed, right? And it, it really made me see how uh, one person, you know, can be looked at in one way and the narrative can be one way and another, it can be completely uh, something different and something a lot more negative. So that was really, uh, that was really an eye-opening uh, part of the conversation for sure. So you're saying the NHL media are the Royals? Is that, is yeah. that what you're saying? Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm with it. I don't know. I don't know. I will, I'll look to see what's going on with the Jets a bit there, but yeah, yeah, no, maybe not quite as maybe not quite as extreme, but uh, there were some interesting parallels for sure. Well, here's <laughs> the thing, right? So my spotty senses generally go up and say, man, you know, media that covers him doesn't look like him, and certainly the general managers and executives who are in those spaces don't have the same lived experience as him. But then I think, okay. Well, at some point where there's smoke, there's fire, right? There's been other Agreed. black players. There's certainly been other black players who, whether it's the way they play, someone like Anthony Duclair or the way they dress and talk and act like P.K. Subban, have been a little bit outgoing. You know, some would say outlandish, but certainly, you know, they're in a sport where everything is about the collective. Like, you could look at them and say, well, it's about you. And they haven't had the consistency but also the depth of allegations about them that Evander has and so that's why I struggle thinking am I am I missing something or am I feeding into the same aspect of him being painted a certain way because the people who have the paintbrush don't relate to him what's what's your sense uh, no, there's definitely some smoke there, right? <laughs> I mean, I think, uh, and Evander, I think, would be the first one to admit there was a, you know, there was a little bit of, a little bit of smoke there. Um, and he, he made some missteps early on in his career, right? I think he probably rubbed teammates the wrong way uh, a handful of times. And look, when it comes to the financial side of things, it has been well documented. Um, he had uh, some, you know, gambling issues that he sought you know, help for. But I think if you look at the totality of the narrative around him, based on my conversation, based on previous conversations that I've had with him, both, you know, on record, uh, you know, for, for articles and off record, um, I think there is uh, there is definitely uh, some um, media uh, work, uh, significant media work and potentially teamwork here uh, and I mean, league uh, teams uh, have gotten behind a narrative that has been crafted in some sense uh, about him as a player. And I think the one he he referred to uh, to me was when he was, you know, a free agent, essentially, and teams were, you know, looking into signing him. You know, he, he talked about Connor McDavid's comments, right, where, you know, the media was essentially trying to get Connor McDavid to pile on, right, being like, look, like, you really going to want to play with this guy? Like, you know, he's a terrible teammate. And Connor essentially said, look, he's, you know, one of the most, you know, skilled players. Um, you know, I, I think he's very talented. I'd, I'd love to have him on the team. And I think 
you know, he he says that he really appreciated that because it wasn't someone feeding into a narrative. It was someone, you know, looking at, you know, the totality of his career um, and, you know, maybe seeing through, um, you know, some of what was, you know, said there. And I, I, I think about, and I don't want to go into the specific, you know, allegations really, but I think about some of the more serious allegations uh, that were made. And, and you know, I personally don't believe them. And, I, and there's a number of reasons why. Um, and, uh, and I think that a, a lot of it was, um, a lot of it was a, a crafted story. Well, at the same time, I think there was many missteps made that I think, you know, he as a person, you know, has learned from. And, uh, I, I think that, um, you know, he's showing in the short time, you know, that he's joined, you know, the Oilers, despite the, you know, scary injury there. Um, that he's proven to be, uh, you know, an, an asset to the team and, and by all accounts, uh, you know, a good teammate. Well, he certainly wants the smoke in terms of what he's willing to say and <laughs> things that True. he was willing to say to you, which I rate. Like, I respect people who are willing to say things and stand on the word and what they say. I often think the fact that he is outspoken and you know, just such a personality there's an aspect of unconscious bias around that because you don't necessarily relate to the messenger. And so you receive that from him a certain way. Whereas if Drew Doughty was saying similar things, right. And and being as um, unvarnished as Evander is, which, you know, in in a very different way, in a much more goofy way, Drew Doughty is people were like, Oh, you know what? He's just a a happy go lucky kid from London. I I know someone like him. I grew up like him. When you don't know someone like Evander, you you maybe receive that message a bit differently. But there's some things that I received a certain message from based off of reading the transcript. But, you know, you have the benefit of having the conversation. Sometimes that lands differently when you have that conversation. He talked about the fact that, you know, there are black people in the game who have been whitewashed. That's how I took what he was saying. When you, which is a, a, one of the most damning allegations that you could make for a black person. It, when you heard that and transcribed it and wrote it, did, did, yeah. is that how you perceived what he was trying to communicate? The way I took that as to what he was saying was more in connection to the narrative that had been built around him. And I think what he was saying is that all media, regardless of race, had piled on essentially and had essentially taken the lead on the narrative that had been established. So he was talking about black hockey journalists that had, you know, essentially joined their counterparts in continuing to build these narratives. And what I connected it to as well, you know, was what I asked him um, about how you know, it seems like always when we hear these narratives about difficult players, it's Nazem Kadri, it's him, you know, it's P.K. Subban's too flashy. Um, there's countless examples of this. And, you know, that's, that's not a coincidence, right? And, and, and I think that all media, you know, is, is accountable to that. So I think his comment, yeah, I can understand how his comment was, uh, you know, I mean, for lack of a better term, a bit shocking. Uh, but I think that what the point that was ultimately trying to get to 
was that the narrative has been spun around more players than just him, right? And I think that's really troublesome, right? I think that, uh, and it follows the player too, right? I mean, that's the thing, right? It's not something where, especially for, you know, uh, you know, BIPOC players, it's something that follows them their entire career, right? I, I still think, it, in some respect, I, I still think it follows PK, right? Um, because, I mean, using a, a lot of that amazing, you know, uh, uh, that, you know, everyone deemed flat now to, you know, build, a, you know, an amazing career post-hockey, but I still think it follows him, right, a, a, a little bit. And, and, and I think that's what he was getting at is, is where's the accountability to, you know, those narratives, you know, that are being spun. Uh, but yes, the statement, uh, you know, the statement was, uh, you know, quite blunt, uh, for sure. Right. The other thing he talked about in terms of the faces of the sport uh, and what they look like, but more so like what they act like and how quiet they were and how that's probably a problem in terms of who the league looks to promote. Although he was super, super grateful for McDavid backing him, I couldn't help but read that and think, dude, you're talking about Connor McDavid. Like he's the face (laughs) of the sport, certainly in Canada. And he's famous for taking a super awkward photo with fans at the airport. Like he doesn't really (laughs) embrace that side of the role. What was your reaction when, uh, you know, that was something that he was thinking about? Yeah, I was a little surprised. Um, You know, I kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, it does fit the profile, right? That statement, you know, it does uh, fit the, the, the profile of Connor. I, I do think that, you know, truthfully, it was, it was broader than that. And I agree with the statement, right? I mean, let's, let's just think about the broad spectrum of players that are out front, you know, promoting uh, the league. Like, I even think about, you know, a player that I consider, you know, very cool and on the leading edge of you know culture in austin matthews and you know austin matthews is still kind of reserved right um you know in the in the grand scheme of uh, of sports and you know out front uh, athletes representing their respective leagues so i i agree with you know evander's uh statement i i think you know he was sort of took that one step further and sort of suggested that uh you know he he should be you know, considered, you know, for a more uh, out front role. And I mean, I think, you know, there are some legitimate, uh, you know, challenges, I, I, I think, around something like that. But I do agree that there are players within the league like him um, who aren't shy about being outspoken, aren't shy about sharing, I don't know, their, you know, their favorite, you know, hip hop artist or their favorite fashion brand or, you know, and, and just a little more in tune you know, to culture, uh, you know, that, that could, you know, represent the game in, uh, you know, a more, uh, you know, highly publicized fashion that would connect with more audiences. So I, I agree with the statement. I thought it was, yeah, uh, interesting given that he plays with, you know, um, arguably the biggest, uh, you know, superstar in the league who is quite reserved. Uh, but uh, in general, I agree with what he said. The Matthews, one is fascinating for me because I love being around him. I think he's super cool. He's fashionable. You can see the personality in the way he plays. 
And yet, somehow, this young kid with Mexican heritage raised in Arizona who did not have the traditional hockey upbringing, as soon as you turn a camera on in front of him, he sounds like every other hockey player. And so to me, that's either beat into him when you're around the sport for as long as he has, or at some point you feel like you have to talk like that to be a part of the sport. I'm not sure what the answer is. Either way, I think we would all benefit from, you know, players having the permission to be a little bit more of themselves. And I think Matthews is a great example. I, I think the the other aspect to this, and you mentioned the fashion in Matthews, is we should note and recognize when hockey culture breaks out of that box and becomes a little bit more mainstream. And you've done a great job socially and on Twitter pointing out hip-hop artists often in the 90s and early 2000s rocking different hockey sweaters. And that is a piece of work that you're working on. How did you go down a personal rabbit hole to one source all of these great images that I don't really remember seeing? And then two, build it into content that people like me want to consume. Yeah. So, I mean, I just remember, I mean, just, I just sort of remembered, right? Like when I was, you know, a teenager watching Rap City, almost every third video, a rap artist was wearing a hockey jersey. And the first thing that kind of dawned into my mind was, why didn't, you know, the NHL do anything with this? So that was the first thing I wanted to, you know, investigate is why didn't they take advantage of this? Uh, in the 90s when this was happening. And then the other thing that I wanted to, you know, jump into was we're seeing it return again, right? We're we're seeing artists, you know, rocking hockey jerseys again, whether it's, you know, Fabulous at a Rangers game, whether it's SZA on the cover of her new album, you know, wearing a blues jersey. We're seeing it come up again as a fashion trend. Uh, so I wanted to dig into that as well, but it's such a, it, it, it's, it's something that just sticks in my mind so much. And there's so many iconic images, like the two that stick out in my mind. One is Snoop in the gin and juice video, wearing a Pittsburgh Penguins Jersey. And the other one that like is just forever etched into my mind is Tupac spitting at the camera, leaving court wearing the Detroit Red Wings jersey. Yes. And these are like iconic hip hop images. So there's this really like, there's this history that's tied together that I don't know if hip hop, you know, has a great sense of it. I don't think, you know, the, the NHL has a great sense of it. So it's kind of like, hey, everyone remember this like time, this period of time where this was all tied together. And guess what? It's like, kind of getting tired together again, whether you like it or not. Right. So it's, it's, it's a piece for landscape, you know, looking at that and it's really, really fun one, you know, to put together and yeah, just dig back and look at some of those iconic images. It was, it was really cool. Well, I love it, especially at the time as a young kid wearing jerseys, you only had so many options based off of process of elimination. It's not really cool to wear a basketball jersey when you think about it. You're going to wear something underneath. It's, just, it's not a great look unless you're actually playing basketball. Football jerseys just low-key aren't that cool looking. Like, they're just big block numbers and letters and not right. much design elements. So that really leaves you with hockey, baseball, 
And in the 90s, we weren't really up on wearing soccer jerseys the way we are now. Like, I wasn't out here, you know, rocking a D.C. United jersey. So, (laughs) yeah, I I love the fact that you're bringing that back, giving us that level of nostalgia. And uh, maybe people will be prompted to to go get a uh, reverse retro uh, and and spit some bars. when they do, you will be covering it. Uh, thank you I'm so much. I'm not freestyling, though. I'm not freestyling, though. <laughs> not yet. We'll work on it. Okay, okay. Appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks, Donovan. Appreciate it, man. Thanks so much to Adam. And, man, hit him up. One, if you need a good writer, brokencool at gmail.com is his handle. But also, you know, for a lot of that work, the portfolio speaks for itself. Brokencool.com is the website. And, Surprise, surprise, his handle on social is at Broken Cool. We'll keep the conversation with the sport of hockey, and we'll try to keep it as light as possible moving forward. Stay with us. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Gondi with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had the show. Thank you. Thank you, Grandma and Granddad. Love them because they're good Samaritans. I try to be the same, but sometimes I fail. But there's a good excuse to be a good person now. And that's thanks to Chevrolet and the Good Deeds Cup. And you probably have seen all over your timeline, all over your IG Explorer page, people who work here, people in sport doing good deeds, trying to raise awareness that, like, it's actually not that hard to make a small, simple gesture for someone in need or, or someone who just wants to have their day brightened a bit. Someone who brightens my day all the time. Sarah Nurse, love following her on social, but also love cheering for her and what a couple years she stacked together. Obviously, as we all remember, gold medalist at the last Winter Olympics, also gold medalist at the Four Nations Cup and has a silver medal in the trophy case for good measure as well. So I wanted to catch up with Sarah to talk about the downtime in between the great rivalry games with the Americans and how she's spending that time doing a lot of good deeds. Let's catch up with the sniper herself, Sarah Nurse. So Sarah, it is all about good deeds, which is generally the case for you. I have to be prompted to be a good person Sometimes, but I can't, I can't really even wrap my head around the fact that we're doing this for the seventh year, the Good Deeds Cup. What is your version of a good deed? Like, what's the thing that you do in life that's like stick tap to me? That's a good assist right there. Yeah, I, I think for me, um, it's honestly anything that's going to make somebody's day a little bit brighter, something that's going to put a smile on somebody's face. I, I honestly don't think that we realize the impact that we can have on other people by simply like smiling or saying hello or good morning. Um, so I think it's anything that really does bring a little more good into the world, puts a smile on somebody's face, you know, bringing in a coffee for your coworker or your coach or your teacher um, something that's going to make somebody's life just a little bit easier that day. And honestly, it can be just the smallest thing. I think we all think about these grand gestures that we can do, which are absolutely incredible and so thoughtful, but it honestly can be the smallest things that can make the biggest impact. So take me into the room, take me into the dressing room. What's a good deed look like 
around the group and give me the opposite. What's the bad deed? Like, what's the worst thing? Is it the person who doesn't Febreze their hockey bag? Is it the person who <laughs> always has the aux cord and is playing music that isn't appreciated by the group? What is the, the no-no around the team in Sarah Nurse's mind? Yeah, I, I think for us, um, there's so many little things that happen for us every day. So um, obviously we have so many incredible, great staff members around us, but we have different things like heart rate monitors and heart rate straps that um, one girl on our team, she always hands out. She knows everybody's stall. She knows where everything goes. So she hands those out. Somebody who's going to throw out the sock tape to everyone instead of everybody having to get up and uh, walk to the tape stand or the tape table, you know, just little things that honestly go unnoticed so much, but just little things like that. Um, I don't know about a bad deed. Like I feel like my teammates are usually pretty good. Um, and if something questionable happens, we usually just chirp them and then um, we're kind of over it. But I really do think that I'm fortunate enough to play with some pretty good people. So I haven't seen many bad deeds lately. You're such a liar. Like you're such a liar. <laughs> and you're, you're a good person. That was a good deed. Not throwing a teammate under the bus right there. So you were filling up the cup. We were going to add that uh, you to, to your I'm ranking. Uh, so you're, you're now competing with all the minor hockey players uh, who are doing good deeds, but not as petty as I am, because I could give you a long list of things that my <laughs> colleagues do that annoys me, but I, I rate you none the same. Let's talk about the, the hockey that you're playing and the teammates that you're around. The PWHPA, I, I like the fact that we're taking it to some smaller uh, cities, whether it's Barrie or Kitchener, Niagara, Peterborough, and places where mm. obviously the game is, is loved and is the lifeblood of the community. For you, as you're going on this barnstorming tour, and as the PWHPA evolves, what has it like been for you to go to some new locales? I think, honestly, every single tour stop that we've done has been completely different. Um, last weekend, being in Owen Sound and Collingwood, those are two small communities. And the fact that, you know, obviously Hockey Day in Canada was in Owen Sound, and then we were able to play three sold-out games in Collingwood. They packed that little barn with 1,500 people. And so it's bringing uh, hockey to these small communities because it's really the lifeline in these places. I think of um, how important, like, OHL hockey is to these communities, whether we're going to Barrie or Peterborough, Niagara, Kitchener, like their OHL teams are so huge. And so the fact that we're able to partner with those teams and uh, bring elite women's hockey to those communities is important too, because they often don't get to see it. Um, and so it's been, it's been pretty spectacular. And then obviously leaving Canada and going to the States and going to places like Tampa Bay and Washington. And we were in Arizona a few years ago and just opening up those markets and opening up their eyes to women's hockey, because honestly, hockey is new in general to a lot of those markets. Like, yes, they may have NHL teams, but again, there are a lot of women in those places who have never seen women's hockey players playing at an elite level and so we really want to open their eyes and increase the visibility um, which we've been able to do over the last few years shout out to uh, those who have supported the companies like harvey's and adidas and scotia bank mm -hmm. and definitely I, i'm sure i'm forgetting others yeah. <laughs> but i have a love-hate relationship with the pwhpa and that i love that it exists and i love that you're fighting for something that is beyond what we have right now, but I also hate mm -hmm. the fact that it exists. And I would love for you to be able to transition to a sustainable league that allows you to be true professionals. How close do you think we are? 
I think we're closer than a lot of people think. And I know it's, it's probably very frustrating because um, we aren't in the media a lot talking about the plans that we have and, and what we're doing and what's happening behind the scenes. And um, that's because when we make an announcement, we want it to be as impactful as possible. Um, there have been, again, over the last three years that our organization has been um, around, there have been so many strides that we've taken forward. And so as we move forward throughout this season and then into next season, I, I think that a lot of people are going to be pretty excited about what's coming down the pipeline. And I, I agree. I, I have a love-hate relationship with the PWHPA, too, because I, I want there to be a league for us to play in, and, and I definitely think that it's coming sooner than um, people realize. Three years is not a short amount of time, especially for a pro athlete. The, your average mm-hmm. NFL career is three years. What have your emotions been like throughout these three years? Because for someone of your skill, of your age, I personally could be somewhat resentful that I'm not really allowed to realize my prime, but, but how have you managed the emotional aspect of what the last couple of years has been like? Yeah, I think for me, obviously they, there comes that frustration because I'm an athlete, I'm a lead athlete. I want to compete. And so um, I've had to kind of shift my mindset a little bit to, yes, I want to show how good I am. I want my teammates to be able to show how good they are um, in their careers. But I've had to shift my mindset to um, understanding how impactful that I can be on the sport as a whole and knowing that my biggest impact on the sport is actually not through me playing the game. Um, And that has really been one positive for me that's come out of obviously not having a league is recognizing that, you know, my worth isn't based on how I played in that game or, or how many games I played on this team or that team. Um, I, I really do believe that we all have a responsibility to leave the world in a better place. And so I've been able to transition to understanding that there are things that happen off of the ice um, that I can have an impact on, whether that's um, increasing the visibility and representation of women's hockey, uh, focusing efforts on diversity, equity, inclusion, um, focusing different efforts at the grassroots level. And so for me, that's been a real big focus of mine and just understanding that, yes, I want to win championships. I want to score goals. I want to play on some pretty amazing teams with amazing players. But that's not all that I have to offer the hockey world. Preach. As I said, <laughs> such a better person than I am. I don't believe that for a second. (laughs) You eloquently uh, explained your intentions, uh, which I I rate. You talked about that diversity, that inclusion, that representation. Your work, among many others, with Black Girl Hockey Club and and mentoring um, up-and-coming players is so, so important. It's evident what young girls get from that relationship. What do you get from that relationship? I think for me, it's that full circle moment. It's realizing that when I was a young girl, um, I didn't have those role models. And that's not necessarily to say that they didn't exist. I, I'm so lucky now to be able to know and call like Cassie Campbell, somebody who I'm able to go to if I need anything. And so it's not for the lack of those women existing. It's just the lack that I didn't, I didn't see them. I, I didn't have that connection with them. I saw them on TV once every four years. And so it's a full circle moment for me, understanding that, I am giving a young girl what I lacked as a child and understanding how impactful that would have been had I been able to meet a women's hockey player. It didn't matter if she played on Team Canada, didn't matter where she played, just 
seeing a woman playing hockey, I think, would have been very meaningful to me because for a long time I thought that I was the only girl playing hockey. Like, I was, like, five, six, seven years old being, like, I really am the only girl that plays this sport until I saw Team Canada and Team USA play at the Olympics. And I was like, oh, my God, there are 30 girls that actually play hockey, too. Like, I could be number 31, you know? Um, and so I think for me, it's that full circle moment and, and just seeing kind of the light in their eyes. They, they light up when they get to see you and get to meet you. And so it's pretty special for me. Well, they don't have to wait every four years to see it played or to see a female talking about the game. You mm-hmm. have to really turn on any station and you're seeing many females talking about the game. Certainly, you, you, you see them on our channel here at Sportsnet, mm-hmm. and you are, are one of them. What has that aspect of this time been like for you? A new opportunity, a new challenge that you certainly knocked out of the park, but how have you attacked the broadcasting side of what you bring to the table? Yeah, the broadcast side is so fun. And again, like being able to turn on Sportsnet and seeing Kathy Campbell or seeing Jennifer Botterill, Carolyn Cameron, being able to um, talk hockey, be on the panel, be on Hockey Night in Canada um, is something that like still inspires me. Like I'll sit there and watch Hockey Central and I'm like, man, there are women talking hockey. Like I never saw that growing up. And so for me, um, I think that not only it's been such a unique challenge, but it's honestly made me a better hockey player because I'm sitting there, I'm analyzing different things, I'm seeing different parts of the game and I'm able to take it and almost implement it in my game because I'm paying closer attention. And so I think indirectly it's actually helped me as a hockey player um and really just being aware um and then i guess uh, as a broadcaster again it's taught me so many different things it's taught me how to convey ideas and my opinions and my beliefs and being able to work with people who maybe intimidate me sometimes but are able to integrate me into the space and so being able to work with like jamal Mayers again uh carolyn cameron justin Bourne, like these are people who i've been able to watch on tv and then to be able to work with them has been a pretty cool experience and the fits have been fantastic, I just have to say. Like, obviously, Carolyn Cameron always dresses well. I love what BXA wears. <laughs> Elliot has yeah. come a long way, and now his style game is up. But in general, you were raising the bar uh, for how the hockey group uh, comes to the table in terms of fashion. So thank you for that. As a, as That's a what I try to do. And I have to say a shout-out to Fab, the amazing stylist for helping me, because, you know, I got to just spice it up a little bit on the panel. Yeah, yeah, Fab is literally fabulous. So yes, shout out to her uh, and and Deb and Amy and the whole uh, stylist crew. So we talked about that amount of time that you've had in your career and this point as pro hockey on the women's side is, is transitioning. For me, that must make the rivalry series, which we've got coming up this year, I mean, I suppose that much more meaningful. Obviously, World Championships, Olympics are, are big, but you're doing wall sits for like four months just thinking like, oh, <laughs> I, I, got, I got USA in a little bit. Like, I got to get up for this. It, does it make those matchups more special because they're s- somewhat scarce when you get to play with something on the line? Yeah, I mean, obviously, a Canada-USA matchup for us it doesn't matter if there's a gold medal on the line or absolutely nothing. Um, There's pride on the line at the end of the day. And we want to make our country proud. We never like to lose to the Americans. And I think it, it, it becomes so special because obviously these games are hyped up, but what we have to realize is they're also broadcast on national TV and women's hockey again is not broadcast nearly enough on national TV. And so for us, that's our opportunity to not only show 
you know, the next gen, the young boys and girls who are coming up and watching us, but to show really everybody just how good we are. Because, you know, we have seven rivalry game series this year. That's only seven opportunities for people to see us on TV and, and for us to show them um, just how good women's hockey is. And so we definitely think that that's such a privilege and something that we don't take lightly. So we get up for those games for sure. Yeah, and the atmosphere is always outstanding. I expect nothing less. Uh, with the next two, Feb 2022 in Quebec. Uh, that'll be outstanding. HockeyCanada.ca slash tickets is where people can go out and see you. But we are going to see you uh, in March participating in the NHL All-Star Skills Competition once again. It, it's one of the wrinkles that I really enjoy. And one of the reasons why, for me, the NHL All-Star Weekend is, is starting to surpass the NBA All-Star Weekend, partially because good dunkers don't try to dunk in the dunk competition anymore, <laughs> but also because we get to see great female players, see their skills, and understand that the skill level is at a, a, an all-time high level uh, both on the men's and women's side of the game. What's it like for you to be involved in everything that is All-Star Weekend? And, and for you, why is it important to have that platform? Yeah, it's such a special weekend. And obviously it's something that you grow up watching. And, and the fact that um, we're able to be included now definitely shows the recognition and that the value that, you know, the National Hockey League, which is, you know, the global leader in hockey, um, they see the value in having us as women there. And so I think that's great. Again, we go back to visibility and representation and just being able to show people who may not ever have seen a women's hockey game to show them that we exist and that we actually are skilled. And so those, those weekends are definitely pretty special. Um, obviously a few years back, we had that three on three challenge that was so much fun and then got so much attention. Um, and so this year we're, we're going to be able to take part in the skills competition. We don't have all the final details just yet, but we're pretty excited to be a part of it. And all the guys have always, have always been um, so awesome to us and including us in the weekend. And so we're very excited for it. Well, the final good deed I need from you is just take it easy on the guys. Like Hillary <laughs> Knight, if, if it's an American, obviously you have yeah. to represent for the country. But for the fellas, just like don't beat them too bad. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably go harder on Hillary Knight than I would on City Cross <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you for spending the time. Uh, and thank you for all the good deeds. They're appreciated. Thank you so much. No, I appreciate it so much. Thanks again to Sarah and shout out to her as show rightly mentions to me. She had a great year, set a record for points in an Olympic games. I just wish we didn't have to wait four years for her to have that stage. I wish week in and week out she was playing in big games, but in the meantime, definitely support the PWHPA dream gap tour when it is in your city. And you can also support things that she's got going on by, as I mentioned, doing a good deed, especially if you are a minor hockey player. Enter the contest. Search the hashtag Good Deeds Cup. Enter your good deed. you still got time. The winner isn't announced until March 6th. So between you and your team, partake in the seventh. It's crazy it's been around this long. Seventh Good Deeds Cup because no good deed should go uncelebrated. So score points, earn the cup, fill the cup. My cup is full, having great conversations with great people. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did on behalf of Lance and show. Thanks for listening.
We'll talk to you again soon.